The Man in Line, brought to you by NetZeroMatrix.com, your one-stop shop for advice on renewable energy solutions and other green initiatives. Fastamai, good afternoon. It is just after midday on Wednesday, the 25th of January. This is Manx Radio's Man in Line. Beth again looking after things for Andy while he's on holiday. So what is on your mind? Maybe it's the family of a murder victim who feel they've been let down by the probation service. We'll hear a little bit from the Home Affairs Minister about how sentencing works. A church in Foxdale's facing closure because of high maintenance costs. How worried are you about historic places of worship closing down? Or perhaps you'd like to talk about something else entirely 66 13 68 is the number to call chris quirk is ready and waiting to talk to you It'd be great to speak to you live on air However, you can also text 166-177. You can WhatsApp if you just go to 07624-166-177 or email studio at manxradio.com. Uh, a couple of things I want to pick up from on previous shows. Firstly, John has been very patiently waiting for an answer about when this year's railway timetable is going to be released. I have been told that it's ready and due to go out imminently. It's just waiting for the final sign-off. So hopefully we will have word on that very shortly, John, but thank you for your patience on that one. Let's go straight to the lines, though, first of all, and join June. Good afternoon, June. Oh, good afternoon, um, Beth. Um, I'm just ringing about the uh, consultation form for assisted dying, and um, there's lots of things on it I don't agree with, but the first one I noticed was um, to enable adults who are terminally ill to be provided at their request with specific assistance to end their life and for connected purposes. But he hasn't put what the connected purposes are, um, so I don't know what that means. And, um, of course, they're on about that it's available in 25 jurisdictions, but I just want to point out to your um, listeners, there's 195 countries in the world, so don't feel that we're getting left out on that thing. And another one is... um, not about Canada, uh, reasonably foreseeable medical assistance dying. And the thing is, it's not very easy, like, um, to assess how long a person's got to live. I mean, I know a person who was uh, expected to live a couple of months and they're still alive after five months and still eating and enjoying their life. And there's a man on the telly recently, he was um, given two years to live uh, from prostate cancer. And five years down the line, he's just completed a year of running 5K to raise money for prostate cancer. And it's not about safeguards, but um, like um, Ben, uh, Dr. Ben Harris said, um, they're not monitored and it's often ignored. And in time, it gets stretched, you know, to um, the criteria gets stretched. Um, one of the, there's a quite a few things actually. It should, it's worth pointing out, June, actually, that this consultation does end tomorrow. So if anybody yes. does have thoughts, it's a, a good time now to, to get that done. Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, there's lots of things on it, actually. Um, what else is it? 
Yeah, it's the monitoring really is is not done in, in all these countries, and he should know that if he's done his research. I mean, I don't see how he's been able to get this done so quickly, because he was um, what do you call it, Treasury Minister, wasn't he, not long ago? Um, it's not about the doctors getting assessed by the doctors. Um, and someone that wrote, wrote in the paper the other day, which is true, you can't actually get an appointment with one doctor. So are these people going to get priorities to get an appointment with two doctors? And, I mean, appointments last, how long did they last? 10 to 15 minutes? You know, how can you assess a person's mental capacity in that time? And doctors aren't good at picking up depression, to be honest. Um, I think um, I've, it's also- up, I've done a lot of research and I've looked up evidence and... Um, you know, who do you listen to? A GP who's, who's not really a practicing GP anymore, or the people, the experts who are the palliative care doctors and the geriatric care doctors who are strongly opposed to this bill. You know, they've got all the evidence. They're the ones that look after these um, dying patients. And uh, another point I've looked into that the UK has got 66, 67.33 million people at the last. Um, census in 2021 and the island man was 84 or something but round it up to 85 so that means that um, the UK is 670 times um, population greater um, than the Isle of Man now the UK I looked at Dignitas figures over five years there's 141 people so if you divide that by the five years to get the average and the average is 28 people a year and they're sort of 670 times greater population than the Isle of Man. So in the Isle of Man, it would take 23 years or more to reach that, reach that figure of 28 people. So it'd be about one and a bit a year at this present time. But the trouble is, when this bill come, if it did come in, hopefully not, um, it, people who are older or need a lot of help with their activities of daily living, they're going to feel a burden. And, you know, they might think, oh, well, maybe I should, you know, go for this assisted dying. And it puts more pressure, actually, on people who are elderly, who are people who are disabled. No matter what you say about this uh, disabled thing about Canada, and I've got some things here, in in Oregon, um, 54% of people who wanted to go for the assisted dying felt a burden um, and in Oregon only and Canada although you know they're quite big and it's, it's going up and up and up their assisted dying but only two percent of fewer doctors take part in assisted dying now I've got all this evidence a lot of it's from this website which is a group of um, medical professionals We've looked into the research, and they've got hundreds of, um, uh, what do you call it, references. And, I mean, Dr. Allison, MHK, his number of references are, you know, less than 10 on his paper. You know, it's just, it's, 
it's just not right. Well, Jean, and can I just thing, uh, just um, sorry, Jean, just to, just to interrupt you. Now, sorry. Oh no, that's all right. No, not a problem. I just wanted to just clarify again that this is obviously a private members' bill, so it has nothing to do with Dr. Allenson's government position. Um, if he gets right to uh, the leave to introduce this bill, then it would obviously still have to go through the House of Keys and the Legislative Council. Um, but I think what you're saying and really highlight very well is that there are arguments on both sides of this, as we know, which is why it's yeah. so important for people to take part in that consultation. Yes, yes, yes. Well, he actually, he said that the reason, in one of his uh, articles in the paper, that he brought the bill forward, um, asked to propose it, because um, a patient came to him when he was a GP in Ramsey and asked uh, to write a letter for dignitas. And he, he went and inquired with the British Medical Association and he was told he couldn't do it and that he possibly get struck off. And that's why he's saying he proposed this bill, but uh, that's one lady, you know, and how long ago and what was the outcome for that lady? Um, it's, um, anyway, so there's another one here. Um, and some people in Canada have been offered um, assisted dying instead of treatment. And he's gone about, he's saying it doesn't affect palliative care, but it does. The USA which is uh, where Oregon is, is 43rd in end-of-life care. Britain and the Isle of Man are on the top. You know, it does affect palliative care. And um, there is a thing to do with um, the law. The Coronation Oath Act of 1688 said that the monarch has legal duty um, to utmost, to maintain to the utmost of his power, the laws of God and true profession of the gospel and the act applies to the Isle of Man. So how can you give royal assent to this? It's got to go to royal assent um, no matter what. So (laughs) that's it. So I've made my views known. No, that's great, June, and that's what we're all about. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to phone in. Um, June there talking about assisted dying. And as we know, it's been a, a topic we have talked about a lot over the past few weeks. There are two very definite sides to this. It's very rare, actually, that we speak to somebody who's almost sitting on the fence. But again, worth reminding you that if you go to the government consultation hub, you have until tomorrow to fill in that consultation and make your thoughts known about that. It's just gone quarter past 12. Now, something else I want to raise that came up towards the end of yesterday's programme was to do with parking. We were joined by Frank, who'd been having some issues with parking in Ramsey. Let me just first remind you of what Frank had to say. I'm a registered disabled person and I'm quite old now and I can't walk. Uh, I can only walk with a, 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 I have a walker that helps me to walk. All the disabled parking spaces in Parliament Street in Ramsey or they've just put two new ones up at St Paul's Hall. You can only park for an hour. If you park on a disabled parking space, you can only park are all marked up, but only for one hour. And I got fined a, a, a month ago because I was 10 minutes over the time. I didn't realise it was only one hour. Because if I park anywhere else in a normal place, I get two hours. So I've only got to move my car six inches and I get two hours. But on a disabled place, I only get an hour. 
Well, I've got a partial response to that comment from Frank from the Department of Infrastructure. I contacted them after the show yesterday. They say that the space that Frank is referring to in Parliament Street is one hour because of its proximity and convenience for the nearby chemist. So it's intended to be a high turnover space to allow more people to pop in and get their prescriptions, etc. If people want to spend longer in town, they should, as Frank advises, use their blue badge to get double the time from a regular space. The same situation, says the DOI, is in place in Regent Street in Douglas where people can park really close to the street but for a shorter time than if they park on Lock Promenade where they can get four hours from a regular two-hour space by displaying their blue badge. So I hope that goes some way to explaining that situation that Frank was talking about. 18 minutes past 12, 66 13 68. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat live on air this afternoon, it'd be great to talk to you. The Man in Line, brought to you by NetZeroMatrix.com, the world's leading carbon register and validation ecosystem. And it's lovely to have your company this lunchtime. Anything on your mind at all, 66 13 68 is the number to call. And we can join Elizabeth now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Beth. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you doing? I'm fine. Um, I was just uh, ringing to tell the people of the Mile of Man to, if they get a catalogue called Easy Life, just have nothing to do with this. Because I, I unfortunately, I did place an order and I had some stuff for it, yes. And then this lady rang me some time ago and said, did I wish to take out this kind of uh, a monthly, you pay so much a month and you get money off vouchers? And I said to her, no. I said, because I said, most of these vouchers that you're telling me, I said, well, some of the shops aren't in the Isle of Man, so I didn't want anything. So my bank account arrived, uh, it could have been before Christmas, I think, and I didn't look at it. But I did happen to look at it there on Sunday night. I thought, well, I better check this. And I've discovered that Easy Life have been taking money from my account on a sort of, uh, well, let's see now. The 16th of September, £77. The 10th of October, £18.50. The 7th of November, £42.50. Forty-nine, and it's fifth of December, seventy-six pound ninety-nine. The ninth of December, fourteen ninety-nine, and then into the twelfth of December, forty-two pound forty-nine. The sixteenth of January, twice they've taken two amounts. One for eighteen pound fifty, one for twenty three ninety nine, and the seventeenth of January it was taken fourteen ninety nine from my account. I did ring them up, and they said that I would be reimbursed. But I mean, people shouldn't be allowed to do things like that. I did go and see the bank, and I said to the bank, "Why, you know, don't let any more money go out to Easy Life." Because I never agreed to anything. So if anybody has any dealings with Easy Life, just don't bother. Okay, so it's interesting. Does it? Did they tell you what those payments were for? I mean, obviously, you said you made one order, but presumably no more after that. I, made, I think I made about two orders, but the last order that the money came out was the fourteenth of September, and it was ninety three pound. Um, but there was a one before that on the seventh. 
the 12th of September for £18.50, but I can't, um, I can't remember what that is for. I got a couple of orders for them, different things, you know. And they, the orders know. arrived OK, did they? Oh, yeah, they arrived OK. But this lady rang me up some time later and says, would you wish to join this thing, blah, blah, blah. And mm. she went on with the old rigmarole spree of, you know, wouldn't let you get a word in edgeways. And then, like I said, I just happened to look at my bank statement and I see they've been taking money out for nothing because I haven't had anything from them since September. But they've been taking this money out of my account willy-nilly, different amounts. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've done the right thing in in regard to speaking to the bank and hopefully that will be reimbursed. But it just showed the importance, doesn't it, of of checking your statements and making sure everything adds up. Precisely, yes. I wish I'd checked mine when I came in originally, but I stupidly didn't. So I went away for Christmas. Then I had to go to the UK from Ireland for a funeral and stayed over there till about the 9th of January. But I mean... If anybody has any dealings with Easy Life Catalogue and anybody rings them up and asks them, do they want to join this scheme where you get money off vouchers? And apparently I've joined a gym, which I, I, oh. I, I know nothing New about. New Year's resolution? <laughs> no, this is the corner of taking money out for a gym membership oh. that I don't bloody have neither. <laughs> So oh. I don't know where that, which one that is. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. some good advice there, Elizabeth. Thank you very much indeed. And as you say, I'm sure you'll okay. be paying much more attention to your bank statements now. We I all do that. Will. Yeah, we they all. They did say they were going to reimburse me, but I, I'll just have to wait and see. I'll have to wait till the end of the week and see. Okay. Uh, well, I hope mind. that does happen. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Thank Daddy you. Bye. Yeah, we're all guilty of that, aren't we? Of not checking through our bank statements properly. Or I do that thing where I say, oh, I haven't bought that. Definitely haven't bought that. And then realise, yeah, you have. Um, some of your texts and emails now. Uh, this is from text number ending 776. The Isle of Man cannot achieve anything like full food security in the sense of guaranteed, uninterrupted, affordable supply. And in this, we are little different from, say, Inverness, the Isle of Wight, Pembroke or Penzance. We are not a self-sufficient sovereign state. There are no longer the days of simple spuds and herring. The government here should arrange for staple food reserves to be stored on island, but on most occasions when the Manx boat cannot come we should simply eat what's in the freezer, make our own bed, uh, make our own bread and bed, or flatbread, or just eat something different for a change. Few people ever reach the state of having absolutely nothing in to eat, and neither should our shops if selfish panic buying is prohibited. In our small society, profitable market competition is difficult, and the exclusive local supply of foods can become the offering of mediocre, produced goods at premium prices in what is effectively a monopoly. If the term food security is actually code for protecting the incomes of and I'm afraid the rest of that one is missing that was a great uh, great email there thank you very much indeed but what do you make of that should we have those staples uh, put in reserves stored somewhere on island a uh, message from Dick who says, I like Laurie Hooper and it's good to know from him today that he's managed to call a plumber out to change the wrong tap in the doctor's surgery that the Care Quality Commission found and Manx Care's Director of Nursing assured us it was being fixed as a priority yesterday. But what I'm wondering is, is where the Interim Director of Public Health is in all of this, who Manx Care appointed last June with a six-figure salary to work on a part-time basis while living across. I know it's a lot to ask of him, but don't you think that the person in charge of public health could have called the plumber himself without having 
having to get the health minister and the director of nursing to do it for him. At least with the previous person in the job, she lived here and worked five days a week on Ireland and saw these problems for herself. Maybe this is another example, says Dick, of why we're having so many failings in Manx Care, as too many of their board only work part-time and live across, including the chair. But at least we've got the tap fixed. Ali has been in touch with regard to places of worship and she says with the hopeful increase to our population surely we're going to have to build other places of worship for people with other religions on the island. Anne has been in touch just with regard to what June was saying at the start of the programme with regard to assisted dying. She says she raised some very interesting points and Anne is urging people to look at all the evidence. There's lots of uh, websites she says which you can find information about assisted dying and perhaps make up your mind if you haven't already. Jay says, I understand the arguments for euthanasia, but I also can see that once in place, the vulnerable, the infirm and the elderly will feel an obligation to die. Nobody wants to be a burden or to be an expense. I mean, what's stopping a distant family member trying to convince another family member to die because they need their inheritance or can't afford to fund treatments? Anne thinks the questions in the online survey appear to be worded in such a way as to assume respondents are not against assisted dying. Um, I have done that uh, consultation now and I think there is the option, one of the very early on questions is whether you say you're for or against the idea. Uh, Disabled parking. If you're in a wheelchair, you cannot use a standard parking space because you can't get out and into a wheelchair without the extra space. So only an hour anywhere if you are in a wheelchair. And uh, there's somebody else has just been in touch to say they've just had a skeet on Easy Life and uh, suggest maybe you can look on eBay. Um, so 166177, studio at com, or even better, 661368 if you'd like to give me a call about anything this lunchtime. Now, in this morning's breakfast programme, we heard from the family of a murder victim who say they feel hugely let down by the probation service as the person responsible for their loss looks set to be released from prison. Speaking to Max Radio, the family said that they have faced a lack of communication and misinformation regarding the release and they were shocked to learn the killer could be out as early as this week. They felt compelled to contact us after a story we ran before Christmas in which the victim of a convicted rapist said she was godsmacked that her rapist could be released. They say they're experiencing the same treatment. Well, we've spoken to the Justice and Home Affairs Minister Jane Paul Wilson about the process of a prisoner becoming eligible for parole and why a life sentence often often doesn't actually mean life. I think the important point is, one, life does not mean life in prison. It means life with a tariff. Once the individual has served that tariff, which is set by the court, then they can become eligible for parole. I think the other important thing is also that if they are granted parole, anyone who has been given a life sentence would be granted parole on the terms of a licence and that licence remains in place for life and there will be specific conditions usually attached which are very specific to the offender and to any issues concerning them and those licence conditions are then in place which is part of actually managing uh, them in the community going forward. So is that something then, because that's obviously going to be a common criticism that gets made of the prison and the parole system and the home office is this life imprisonment issue. Is it something that 
you would like to see looked at in terms of these tariffs? I know it's separate because it's the courts, it, because it's got to be that same criticism put on you every single time this comes up. Um, is it something that you'd want to look at in the future? So I think I think it's a really good question, actually, because it's, I suppose, the balance or, the, or where the lines are drawn in our whole system between what Tinwald as the legislating body does and what the courts do when they are looking at each individual case. So Tinwald has a role and, um, you know, I've, I've talked before about some of the legislation that we've been trying to modernise, a good example being the Sexual Offences and Obscene Publications Act that we're working on to bring into effect. Now, if you look at that legislation, that legislation sets out some uh, sentences uh, that, that Tin will think, actually, yes, if you've committed a serious offence like this, you could be imprisoned for up to a period and then it will it will specify the period. What then happens, of course, in practice is an individual case is before the courts. It is the court's determination as to what the sentence should be in that particular case. Um, from, my, from my perspective, I do think you know we do need to be uh, thoughtful, as, as Tim will, about what our sentences look like in terms of our legislation. And certainly there's a piece of work that uh, I am very keen that we try and progress during this administration, which is we look ha- try and have an overarching look at some of our sentences and, and look at, well, are they fit for purpose? Are they still appropriate? What we will never be able to do, I think quite rightly as politicians, is interfere in an individual case to say, in this case, the sentence should be X. That's why we have an independent judiciary free from political interference who hear all the facts and the evidence, including, I think, really importantly, the victim's perspective and the impact of, of the crime on the victim and then make a recommendation around sentence based on the facts available in the individual case. That's the Justice and Home Affairs Minister Jane Paul Wilson. Now as you can imagine there was a lot more to that interview. It will very shortly be available as a newscast that's where we have the whole interview for you to listen to and that will be found at manxradio.com You can find that for many of our in-depth interviews and certainly on some of the more serious subjects it's often good to be able to go there and listen to the whole thing when we only have time sometimes for a couple of minutes on air. Let's go to the lines now and we can join Wilf. Good afternoon, Wilf. Hi, uh, just uh, just coming on again. I've been trying for about three weeks to find out about electric cars, where they get scrapped. And the other thing was, I thought I heard that the fire uh, station people were going to come on and tell you how they put one out. Yeah, so I've been asked this a lot of um, lot of times, and I did get in touch with them towards the end of last week, and um, I was promised a response. I haven't had one yet. I did chase it up again yesterday, so fingers crossed we will have that soon, because I understand it is quite a complicated procedure. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking, you see, because I'm thinking that I don't, the different people that I've asked, they don't actually know how to do this yet. But it's, it's just a... a a thing of where you get one scrapped when it comes to the end of its batteries get flat or whatever mm. it is, uh, where does it go? If it's got to go away, then presumably the owner of this car has to pay for it to get shipped away. Now then, this is just a scenario. I think of things way ahead, you see. <laughs> and uh, let's say it decides to go on fire when it's getting shipped away. Mm-hmm. Or if a new one's getting shipped in. Because I don't know when they go. Do they go on fire when you plug them in uh, to charge them up? Or do they go on fire any time at all? I don't know. Hopefully Nobody not at all, Will. I know the anyway. answer. Yeah. 
So the thing is, uh, it's just a scenario that might happen. Suppose there's some of them on our nice new boat and they go on fire. I should also say I did. You see con- what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I did contact the steam packet as well, um, and they were going to come back to me with a response about how that will be dealt with. But yeah, it's, no, it's a really fair uh, point. Right? Okay. Yeah. Well, if, they, if they've got, the only thing I can see is they've got to go underwater to put them out. The only thing is to open the door at the back and push them into the sea. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Could be tricky. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right, Will. Well, I hope we will. I'll chase it up again. So, um, yeah, you have my assurance. I haven't forgotten about this one, but thank you. Okay. All right, Will. Take care. Speak to you soon. Uh, That was Wilf there. We've got another Isle of Man steam packet question, actually, about why we can't book cabins on the new boat. So I did get in touch with Steam Packet yesterday and they directed me to some information that is on their website, steam-packet.com. Customers booking sailings from the 23rd of May onwards may see Manxman in the system. However, due to the complex and not entirely predictable nature of commissioning and readying for service a brand new vessel, there's no guarantee Manxman will operate any particular sailing and there may be last-minute changes of vessel with no notice. Again, due to the need to retain operational flexibility during the introductory phase, full onboard facilities will not be available to purchase on initial release of bookings. On release, a limited range of cabins will be on sale for each crossing, while Maxman's lounge and accommodation details are finalised. Lounges and accommodation may be available to purchase on board during sailings. The intention with Maxman has been from the outset to deliver improved levels of comfort and service over Ben McCree while retaining the older vessel's well-earned reputation for reliability. A major consultation took place at the start of the new build project and many of the findings have been incorporated in Manxman's build and fit out. So I hope that goes some way to explaining that one. 66 13 68 if you'd like to have a chat on air. When the man in line's not on air, call Manx Radio to leave your opinion for broadcast on 682 631. The Man in Line, brought to you by NetZeroMatrix.com, the Isle of Man's main Net Zero progress website. It is 12.40. Lovely to have your company this afternoon. Just want to read you this message from Paul, which clarifies the position regarding the Director of Public Health and who they work for. A previous message from Dick about the CQC inspections that was read out stated they work for Manx Care. This is not correct, as they are employed by the Cabinet Office, not Manx Care. Thank you very much for that clarification. Let's go to the lines and join Julian now. Good afternoon, Julian. Hi, Beth. Uh, yeah, just a slightly different subject. The uh, Westmoreland Village Project. OK. Um, you may remember a while ago that the, um, the government commissioned a report from Arup, known as the Arup Report, that was talking about our future green energy um, options for the Isle of Man. Um, Arup are also a big player um, uh, in all this sort of changing how we live. Um, and they are also very, very much involved in something called C40 Cities. So if anybody goes looking for C40 Cities, you're going to get a feel for exactly what all this is about. It's been going on a while. Um, it was um, big in the Davos thing just recently. Um, now, the the document to look at from Arab is called C40, The Future of Urban Consumption. And this seems to be the template, a bit like the IPCC um, report on climate, about how people they perceive will be living in years to come. So if you download the C40, the future of urban consumption, you will see that they are recommending, for example, uh, 
that people should only be able to have one short-haul flight up to 900 miles every three years as an ambitious target, but they want to get to two years at, by 2030. So that will limit you to, say, a flight to Madrid, Barcelona, Prague, Stockholm or Milan. So forget about the States or the Canary Islands in the future. Um, they are also talking about food. Their ambitious target is zero kilos of meat and zero kilos of dairy. And they are also saying that we should be looking at three new items of clothing per year. So this is a serious report from the Arab uh, company. So okay. I'm actually, if you go download that and have a look at it, this is what they sort of are mapping for our future, it seems like. I would just should just say, uh, Julian, obviously this is not something that I can... Um look into in, in great detail uh, at the moment. It's not certainly not something that I'm aware of. But um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting concept. I imagine, though, you couldn't really start legislating people's flights without it causing some consternation. Well, it's um, sort of making sure the frog doesn't realise it's boiling in the water. But plenty of detail, 68 pages of it. Um, but it does. Uh, it's interesting that it's all about avoiding the 1.5 degree increase in the world, which, as you know, is um, way less than what the temperature changes between breakfast and lunchtime. But anyway, um, yeah. So there also the WEF. There was a long conversation about building a 200 meter wide, several miles long, um, 500 meter high sort of living space, think Blade Runner kind of idea, and they have a very pretty graphics going on, and they want to eventually end up with a five-minute area where you can go for, you know, your hospital in your school. But they're talking about a population of 80,000 within that construct for five minutes. So that's kind of like the population of the Isle of Man within that long sort of, think of a Great Wall of China made out of um, concrete extending and then sort of leaving all the wildlife to get on with it. And you sort of look up and you can see all these sort of bridges going across. Very pretty graphics. The World Economic Forum, I think, and at Davos have um, certainly used up some very high-end CGI graphics to do it. But uh, our report, that, that C40... Um, future urban consumption uh, thing is quite an eye-opener if you go and have a look at it. Okay, I'm going to have to look at it, Julian, and see if we can make any links between uh, what you're saying there. But thank you, as ever, for getting in touch this lunchtime. Lovely to talk to you. Uh, 66 13 68, just over 10 minutes or so if you'd like to have a quick chat on air. Uh, Dave's been in touch regarding Easy Life. This is what Elizabeth was talking about earlier. My wife had the same experience as a lady. My bank suggested a new debit card, which we have done, but Easy Life did pay the money back. I should say I will get in touch with Easy Life and uh, give them a right to reply and maybe explain what's been going on there. Uh, Tony says, Manx Care seems to be a trough with plenty of part-time noses feeding. A sorry state of affairs on our island, I'm very sorry to say. Um, assisted dying, says Texter ending 456. Could we have a jury for each case? I suppose the argument might be that would be difficult depending on time-wise, but it's certainly a thought, isn't it? Um, G says, the Isle of Man government may not be able to exclude a convicted murderer with family here, but do they have to house the person and provide benefits? I don't know the answer to that question, G. 
So to all these people harping on about older people feeling a burden, feel that they have the right to sentence me to being a living corpse in a home or to suffer an agonising death. I don't like a sister dying, then don't do it. But it is not your right to decide for anyone else. We can go to the lines now. Um, is it Rene there? Rene. Rene, I beg your pardon. How are you, Rene? I'm very well, thank you. And you? I'm good, thank you. It's our vintage railway system. For the past couple of summers, I've tried to travel on it with my grandson. Now I'm disabled. Okay. I've got very, very sore arthritic knees, and I'm not very tall, neither of which fit in with the system. And I've really struggled and been in great pain trying to get on. Now, the only thing they've ever come up with is a box step, which cuts the distance from the ground to the first step by half. But then there's another very steep step. And unless someone's brave enough to put their hands on my bottom and shove me up or whatever, I can't get on. And the steam railway is just as bad. Now, talking to the staff in Laxey Station, they say that they have come up with various systems, but each time the Victorian Society have thrown them out as they're not visually suitable for our ancient railway systems. Surely something can be done. I mean, they want to encourage people to come over. That's a really interesting point there. And as you say, I mean, it sounds like you have uh, raised it with certain people, but that's a problem, isn't it? The Victorian heritage wasn't built thinking about inclusivity in mind, I guess. Yes, but as I say, they have, they've told me, I don't know what, but they have come up with various things and the Victorian society throw them out. Okay, some really interesting points. Let me uh, take that one on and see what I can find out about that. Be interesting because again this summer I'd like to travel with him. We get on the train and we go round about and enjoy things, but I can I can't really walk and I certainly can't. The the gap on the steps is so steep, and it's even worse if they produce. It's a an open air tram. It's rather like the toast rack they tow, but it's actually a tram, and that is even steeper. Okay. That's a really interesting point. And, and, and to be honest, and as is the case with many things, it's not something that I've thought about because I haven't been in that position, but it's a really important one to raise. So thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. All right. Take care. Speak to you thank soon. You. Bye. Um, OK, some uh, other interesting points to try and find out about there. Let's go to line two and join Bonzo. Good afternoon. Hello there, Beth. Yeah, just coming back on your previous caller, um, I think they were talking about travel on the Unamanned Steam Railway, was it? Or was yes, it on the Heritage, Vintage yeah. Railway. On Heritage Railway. Well, I don't know about the capacity to do this in Manx Electric Railways, but I believe that um, the Unamanned Steam Railway can certainly uh, accommodate um, uh, mobility scooter um, wheelchair users. Uh, via the guards van. And indeed, um, Professor Stephen Hawking himself once travelled in such a way from, from Douglas to Port Erin and back. Did he? Yes, um, a few years ago. Uh, he, he came to visit a, uh, a friend on the island uh, in Port Erin and uh, they arranged for him to, to travel down on the, uh, on the steam railway. OK. And a, fr a friend of mine was lucky enough to be 
actually on Port Aaron Station platform at the time <laughs> and get to meet him. So, my God, that's Stephen Hawking coming out of the garden, man. <laughs> so, so, yes, it, it, it is practicable. I can see how that, that might be a difficulty on uh, Manx Electric Railway. But I think the steam, the steam packet with... Uh, sorry, the uh, steam railway with some notice can actually accommodate that. OK. Well, as I say, Bonzo, that is something but, I'm going to look into because uh, accessibility is a, it's a key issue that really does seem to be in the forefront of many people's minds now and then we talk about ageing well, population. And, it, and, it's an, and it's an obligation, of course, as, as Chris Thomas rightly points out uh, on many occasions. It's an obligation under the Equality Act. Mm, absolutely. So, you know, the, um, those are the policies that have to be in place. Just coming back quickly to Julian's observation on how the, um, the Westmoreland development and Arabs report seems to be part of the World Economic Forum's conspiracy to get us to eat ground insects. Um, well, firstly, uh, as I recall food regulations, if there was insect protein in anything, it would have to be marked. Uh, and uh, then sort of may cause, may cause allergies in the same way as anything actually visibly with nuts like a Snickers bar has may cause reaction contains nuts um, on it. So that's a, a specious argument you know, for the eating of crickets. Well, I, I, I've had roast locust, actually, and uh, rather yummy it was too. Not sure I want to come around to your house for tea, but anyway... No, 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 no. This was no. This was many, many years ago at school because the the uh, two tanks that were sort of by the window with locusts in them got rather too hot, so they died. So you thought you'd eat them? <laughs> okay. No, no, no. So the so the uh, biology teacher thought, uh, yes, well, I could, uh, you know, actually, do you know this that uh, various people in various other countries actually eat locusts? Yes, it's got a pot and a frying pan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, we munched away on, on roast locusts and, you yeah, know, it wasn't too bad, too bad at all. Um, but this, this idea of some kind of massive global conspiracy that the World Economic Forum is somehow directing everything via the EU and the Bilderberg Group and the um, Skull and Bones Society and the United States and the Masons and, and uh, Uncle Tom Cobley and all uh, and the reptile people are somehow directing things in, in, in this way so we will only ever be able to have three flights a year. I mean, well, in order to have three flights a year, you would have to have agreement with the International Civil Aviation Organization, which I can't see that happening. But then again, maybe if it's controlled by the World Economic Forum, maybe they might get it. I don't know. Um, but it's this kind of, of, of mindset, which there was a very, very excellent film on as part of Holocaust Week awareness on BBC Two called Denial. And it's a film about... Um, a woman from America uh, who was uh, a student of, uh, or professor of Holocaust uh, studies who ended up um, being uh, made to defend herself in a libel case against a guy called David Irving, who uh, very well-known sort of Holocaust apologist, you know, saying that uh, Hitler didn't order the Holocaust or anything like that. And, you know, after some... Uh, you know, careful consideration of a 30-day trial, I think it was, for libel. Um, yes, it found in the professor's favour favor that uh, David Irving had willfully misinterpreted things in order to fit his worldview and then project his worldview. 
um, which is where uh, a quotation I've used uh, on occasions here comes from. Some opinions are more valid than others because they are facts. You know, Elvis is still alive. Uh, oh. Sorry, Elvis is not alive. <laughs> I thought you were giving uh, us a revelation Elvis. there, Bonzo. Um, no, no, no I'm, gi- I'm giving it all away. <laughs> yes. Uh, no. um, yes, yes, I'm sorry. I'm actually from the World Economic Forum and I work for the lizard people. No, uh, Elvis, you know, Elvis is not alive. The moon, the moon is na- not made of green cheese. OK, Bonzo. I'm just going to stop you there only because we have one more caller to fit in. But thank you very, very much indeed. Let's quickly go to line one now and join Steve uh, with a comment, I think, about the steam railway, Steve. Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, I'm one of the seasonal guards on the steam railway, uh, and I was the guard who actually accompanied Stephen Hawking on his trip on the train. Oh, really? Uh, and I speak for all the guards on the steam railway. I can't speak about the MER or the, or the horse trams or the mountain railway, only the steam railway. Uh, and all the guards, and myself included, we endeavour to give as much assistance as we possibly can to anyone who's not put on the legs or whatever. Um, <clears throat> we do have um, ramps to uh, allow people to uh, ascend gracefully into the into the vehicles, and we do accommodate wheelchairs and motor scooter, um, motor scooters, uh, electric scooters, you know, and such. Um, we're not allowed, unfortunately, to push ladies' bottoms to get them into the carriages, but I always endeavour to stand right behind should they topple back. And you know, the, the, unfortunately, these vehicles were built a long, long time ago, when such considerations weren't necessarily borne in mind so, as as we have to be considerate nowadays, you know. But if the lady in question wants to have a trip on the steam railway and asks for me, I'll give her all the possible assistance she she needs to get into the carriage and to enjoy her trip on the train. Oh, that's so lovely, Steve. Um, can I just ask you very quickly, what would you yeah. suggest people in a similar position would do? Is it best to get in touch beforehand and let you know that they're planning a trip? Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, Sometimes, um, depending on the configuration of the of the train on the day, we sometimes may not have a double what we call a double doored guards van, which would inhibit some of the um, scooters, um, electric scooters getting on. But generally speaking, if if people mention maybe a day or so before, we'll do all we can to try and you know help them as much to get on the train and make sure that the the, the train that they want to go on has the requisite guards van, you know, so they can get on. And some many times these people are travelling with me and they get the added bonus of a sort of a, a tour guide as well because I, I chatter on incessantly about the, the beauties and the characteristics of the Isle of Man for their benefit. That sounds perfect. Steve, thank you so, so much for getting in touch. It's great to talk to you. All right. Thank you very much indeed. So hopefully some good news there for any being able to get out and about with her grandson maybe this summer. That is it for today. Thank you so, so much for all your comments and contributions. Thanks also to the programme's producer, Chris Quirk. If you do think of something, remember we have the Man and Line answer phone, which is available 24 hours a day. 682631 is a number. You can leave a message. We can play it out on air if you'd rather not talk to me live in person. But why wouldn't you want to? Okay, I won't answer that. Uh, Coming up next, it is Christy D with one to three. Whatever you're doing this afternoon, have a great one. And I'll talk to you just after midday tomorrow.